we have a team of artists and software just happens to be the medium is exactly how John would describe the team over at Writerly and what they're doing. Because they didn't come into business really trying to keep up with the Joneses, really trying to be the next one hit wonder, but rather really move from the hobby layer of the generative AI space and really try to provide the best economic value for all businesses out there because they understand that what they're not going to serve 100% of the market. They're not in business to no matter how good, how efficient, how affordable a product is, it's not going to resonate with everybody. And that's absolutely okay with them over at Writerly. Why? Because they know that what they're doing is going to impact those and impact those the way that it needs to. And it's not for everybody to feel that impact at all times. But nonetheless, with a lot of testing comes a lot of failure. So John and the rest of the team, they pride themselves on just no barriers, no ceilings, on not giving up, on really taking that next best step and always putting your best foot forward, no matter what the results are. So without further ado, enjoy episode 165, Limitless Thinking. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Down to Business podcast here with Tamar Turner. It's not often that I'm able to connect with a lot of people that are in Florida. Like, I've been able to connect with a lot of Tampa people here, but it's not often that sometimes people are calling and we're virtual and they're enjoying it. So as you can see from John's background, he's got the sun, he's got the light in the background. He's in a very nice space, a nice place right now, enjoying some last bit of his vacation. But I'm very excited to really be talking to him. One, as always, like I said, I think we need to get a sponsorship going. I'll talk to them offline. But Kitcaster has been amazing just from sending me some amazing interviewees, and they have been amazing nonetheless. Everybody comes on here. They impress me. They give me value. They give me knowledge. And then on top of that, I'm able to connect with some of my mutual followers and mutual connections that we may have. So very excited for y'all to hear what John has to talk about today. He may even be able to assist a lot of what you guys are doing what you're thinking about doing and what you may do in the near future. So, John, how you doing today? How's everything on your end? Hey, I'm doing well, Tamar. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So before we get into the actual interview itself, before we tell everybody just what you have going on, how you can be of assistance and everything, can we just really start from the beginning? So one, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? And then two, can you just tell us what brings you on the Down to Business podcast today? Yeah, happy to. Uh, currently, I'm the co-founder and CEO of a generative AI company called Writerly. Uh, Writerly.ai. Uh, we were founded in early 2022 and have been uh, on a very nice growth path over the past uh, year and a half and certainly riding the generative AI wave uh, that's that's kind of hit everyone over the, the past 18 months. Uh, prior to Writerly, I, uh, this is actually the second time co-founding a software company. I'm also co-founder of FinPace, uh, which is a digital onboarding uh, platform for registered investment advisors and wealth managers. So Obviously, both founding roles have, have been around software and uh, finding efficiencies where uh, sort of slower manual tasks may have been the norm beforehand. And then prior to that was with a couple of multinational corporations in, in sales, business development and corporate development uh, in the healthcare space. So I spent about a decade in healthcare. And before that, and immediately after sort of my undergraduate career was with a couple of startups right out of college, really got exposed to small companies. Um, how to grow companies and the good, the the bad, and the otherwise that comes along with uh, with with business in general. Got you, got you. Okay, so you have quite a host of experience, and even something I had to really do some due diligence myself. So a lot of the people who I've talked to more recently, especially from Kitcaster, they've been in their particular like business or most recent venture for quite some time. So naturally, when I clicked Writerly, when I read the bio and everything like that, I said, "Wait, 
this company focuses on AI. Wait, how long has he been doing this? Because I'm, I'm thinking more so, like I said, I've talked to people 2015, 2018, yeah. 2013. I said, dang, have I just been behind on the AI wave? Have I really missed that much? But then I cl- I've scrolled down a little bit. I said, okay, 2022. All right, I'm not that far behind. But still, again, to me, even more so hearing that you guys came out in 2022, I think last year, I think about really what I was doing, the podcast, everything like that. A lot of the people who I talked to, even myself, I was not familiar with AI. I'm granted, okay, let me let me take a step back a little bit. I was familiar with AI, but not really in the use and in the mass that it's being incorporated in today. So hearing that you guys last year were coming into business, I'm really very interested. What was really the landscape of AI at the time when you really started? Because I feel like now it's in almost everything that we talk about. It's pretty much it, it's everything from job replacement to just there's a literally every website has a dot AI afterwards. You can use so many different things, chat, GPTs, everything like that. So re- rewinding it back a little bit to last year, what was that really like? How familiar were you with AI? But really, how were you able to then CEO and then co-found a company on top of that? No, that's a great that's a great point you make because it feels so new. And we really had an opportunity in 2021 when uh, GPT-3 was sort of the predecessor to what we're using right now is GPT-4. Um, and the use cases and the ability to you know, create any type of content from social media posts to blogs to website copy was, was really a, a tool that had never been commercially available, at least at the application there before. So when we were exposed to it in 2021, it's, it's hard. Imagine you, you know, the first time, if you're one of the few people that had access to chat GPT, before the rest of the world did. You kind of say, okay, this is new, this is different. And you could clearly start connecting some dots where, hey, there's a lot of manual processes and time spent on creating things that could be expedited with a a software or a tool like this. So it became pretty clear in 2021 as we were experimenting with some templates inside of uh, GPT-3 that there was a business to be made out of this, that there was that there was product viability. And then in early 2022, when we formally founded the company, it was really about what's our product market fit? You know, as any startup or really any company that's out there, whether they're launching a product for the first time or, or launching a new product, you want to make sure that that product aligns with the market that you're trying to sell to. Otherwise, there's too many stories of people that have built really interesting and really cool things that weren't able to sell it and and typically have a negative outcome. And so, so going back about 18 months, we said, okay, we've got, we, we have a platform here that's clearly new, it's clearly unique, and is showing a lot of promise. But we wanted to collect a lot, we wanted to collect data. And there were a couple of other companies that had, had come out around 2020, 2021, a little bit ahead of us, that had shown us that there is an appetite, that there are use cases out there. And you know, we call them at this stage, we call them peer companies. They're not really competitors because from a global perspective, we're, no one's really tripping over customers at this point, <laughs> but we're all kind of learning. And so that's what we did. We made the decisions to say, hey, we're, you know, we're a company. We're, we're pre-revenue, but we're not really pre-product. We have an alpha version. Um, let's refine it. Let's get some user bases to, to get in here and tell us what they like, what they don't like. And then, and then start that steady march towards towards a beta product or product market fit. And we're doing this in the early part of 2022. And it just so happened that sometime around mid-November, I think it was November the 17th, we launched our our beta product and ChatGPT was announced about a week later. 
and then the whole world woke up to what generative AI was. And then, and then the whole world kind of saw what we saw just a few months before. And you can't log on to Twitter. You can't log on to LinkedIn without you know, being hit with some type of AI or look what these people are doing. It's just, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, you know, there's companies popping up, uh, you know, they're being founded on, on, on AI and the generative capabilities. You have legacy blue chip companies that are now in their earnings report, you know, touting uh, how they're going to integrate AI. So it's, it's kind of hard to get away from right now. Um, but we weren't, you know, we weren't, we weren't prescient. We weren't saying, you know, hey, we were just right place, right time. And we saw what really the rest of the world had a chance to see a year down the road, which was this is really novel. It's really interesting. And together and cumulatively, what can we all build? Because it's so new. Where, where's the most economic value going to be with a, with a technology like this? So that's, that's what's brought us here today. Um, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. We've collected a lot of data. We've guessed correctly. We've guessed incorrectly. And we'll continue doing that. I love to hear that. And even more so in that story, I'm hearing, too, that you pretty much said it, that this is not really a competition at this point. These these are peer companies. There's so much within this space, so much that's been tapped into, but also so much that's really untapped into. I feel like even next year, 2025, 2026, 2027, we'll start to hear so many different things, because like you said, there were companies that came before you. There were companies that came before those companies. There are companies that are going to come after you. There are companies that are going to come after those companies. So it's just like everybody is kind of getting in where they fit in, in a sense. But I'm also, too, thinking about the constant adaptation behind AI. And just how things are forever changing. Like you, even the GPTs, the fact that there's a three, there's a four now, it keeps moving, it keeps growing. I'm probably behind myself some things now. So with Writerly specifically and what you guys are doing, would you say that this is something where you're always researching, you're always looking for feedback, you're always looking to test things because you recognize that this is something that's always changing? Would you say that you guys have a particular model in place already that you kind of just fine tune at certain points? What does that really look like for you in terms of like keeping up with the times in a sense? I think you said it. It's it's kind of all of the above. This is the first time, at least in my career, where I've been in a situation where the the market is changing dramatically month over month. Features that your dev team is building in August may be obsolete by November. You know, there, there's a risk in that because the the iterations of within generative AI are just moving at such an accelerated speed. We love to see it because you've got market maps that come out, new companies are being announced, and it's a really interesting place because typically, you know, business moves quickly. It doesn't really wait, and, and speed is something that a lot of companies use to their advantage when it's used really well. We've taken a different approach because of the, the speed and the accelerated nature of the AI market. It's easy to look out and, and, and it's easy to get on Twitter and LinkedIn and just see, hey, something that you thought about working on next month that you know would be relevant to your platform, you know, has been built in a vertical application by someone else. And really the only thing that you can ever control is you and your company. You know, we don't we draw a lot of inspiration from other companies that are building in similar spaces that we are. Because right now we're we're on the front lines of this. You know, Market share hasn't hasn't been captured yet, or like I said earlier, we're all learning, we're all building, and if you try to keep up and and rush through this, 
there's a lot of mistakes to be made. So as a team, we decided early on that we're going to be patient. And, and there's an old saying that's, that's been used a lot that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And that's, that's what we want for our organization. We, we're, we're not looking to build the next big thing for the next 12 months because that 12 months could turn into 12 hours very quickly. You've got some really smart people. You've got a global competitive landscape. And it, it, I think those that take their time, that understand the customers, that understand the hyper vertical opportunities within AI that solve really valuable use cases and not just throwing out another wrapper of, hey, here's, you know, chat GPT for this one particular use case. But find where the businesses are really having, you know, issues. And, and it certainly helps when you're able to tie in disparate data sets to go along with, with your language models to be able to solve really unique problems through the use of AI. And I think what we're starting to see is this movement from a hobby layer where we're all either on Riderly or other companies or ChatGPT, and we're kind of testing it out and playing with it and, and determining what our own personal taste and preference is for a tool like that and moving more into, okay, where, where can we unlock real economic value? Because the benefit of AI is truly in the scalable nature of it. Um, and, and that's what we're working towards. And we've got some really, really awesome companies alongside of us that are doing the same thing. I talked to other founders in the generative AI space as well. And it's a, it's a unique market for a number of reasons, but we're all helping each other at this point, you know, whether we want to admit it or not. And certainly we have our own things that we want to build for and, and spaces that we want to own. Um, I just think that, that by taking a step back and understanding the market trend and not getting caught up in, in the race to the finish line is going to be really, really important. That, that believe in the hype can be a true downfall for a lot of people. And like you said, it can really take 12 months to 12 hours. We, we've seen it, how things can be one hit wonders, or sometimes people thinking that they're coming in for one purpose. Oh, well, somebody just came in multi-purpose. So they're going to take what you do and they're going to do eight other things that eventually that business or that service or that entrepreneur that they're going to need. So no, you're, you're absolutely right. And sometimes just having to keep it in front of you. Like not don't don't think too far ahead because sometimes you think too far ahead you start making guesstimations and and you start foreshadowing that are that are not going to happen. But if you if you keep it all in front of you, you really just control what you're controlling. And I think that that's good too. That this is such a it seems at least it seems like it right now. It's a very inclusive space. So, but I think it's too is because like you said, everybody is still learning. Everybody's piggybacking ideas off of one another. What are you doing? What have you done? What has worked? What hasn't worked? What feedback are you getting? What companies, what industries are you in? So essentially, I understand that. Now, I've heard you mention this term a few times now, and I just want to make sure that everybody understands it. So AI is one thing, artificial intelligence. I definitely do feel like that's a very big umbrella in itself. Generative AI. Can you just give me a layman's terms definition as to somebody who has really no idea what that is? What is generative AI? How does it work? Like, what is it useful for? Everything like that. Generative AI really at, at, at its basic core is the ability to generate something from a few commands. So when you go to input your prompt, whether that's write a blog, write a 2000 word blog about X and you hit generate, the output from a writerly, from a chat GPT is, is, what's, is what's generated by that model. 
And so generative AI, you can generate text, you can generate images. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to play around with, with Midjourney and some of the other image generators that are out there. And you talk about uh, a, a quick iteration from where they were even a year ago to now. It's, it's wow, you can generate video. A lot of people working in, in really across the multimedia space. What we traditionally think about is, is really text-based. Um, but I think what we're quickly seeing is that at the application layer, other companies ha- are catching up to, you know, kind of where the text is and they're, they're pulling behind image video, uh, which are going to be needed. And so generative AI is the ability to generate something from just a little bit of something else. It's as simple as it gets, y'all. So look, I, I get it. I got it. I, it. It's so even just to really show y'all how fast it's moving, or at least for me, or how it can be from 12 months to 12 hours. So one of my boys from back home, shout out Chris, he actually kind of put me on game a couple of weeks ago. I did not know that you can get photos like from the, like I knew about the AI apps, like the because there was one crazy app that everybody was was doing at one point, and a lot of people still have it as like their profile pictures and stuff like that. But it was off of like you, I think you had to submit some pictures of yourself or you had to do different things like that. I didn't know that you could say, Hey, give me a picture of this to match this, and it can just be. It's this is like I said, it's so much to keep up with sometimes. And like you said, sometimes just focusing on what's right in front of you, I think that is that that's so much more important. But okay, generative AI quotes the the one, two, three of it all. Now, moving more so towards your history and what you've done, just your background, just the extensive experience that you have with startups. I want to kind of ask this question in two parts, but more so to focus on you. Now with everything that you've done, all the experience, all the startups that you work with, even coming out of undergrad, what would you really give, what have been really some eye-opening learning lessons for you? Because oftentimes, I've talked to so many different entrepreneurs here, serial entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, business owners, but all of them have had in common that this is not their first rodeo, that even their first business or their first venture or what they kind of went in on or invested in didn't always go the way that they wanted to. I've talked to a lot of people who have had seven to eight successful exits. But he also told me, big shout out to Travis, if you think about that, I've had that many successful, think about how many were unsuccessful. So we hear oftentimes that, yes, you can be a very successful entrepreneur, you can be a very successful startup founder, but there were also some unsuccessful times. A lot of times more startups fail than succeed. So how did you really, even through all the failures, through the learning lessons, through everything that that is life at this point, how did you really continue to go? What really kind of kept you going, but what were you learning at the same time when it came to this startup culture? Well, I think whether you're with a, a startup that's at, at, at a seed stage, pre-seed stage, growth stage, or whether you're with a, a multinational corporation, um, getting getting things accomplished can be can be difficult, you know, for anyone. And you know, at least for me personally, when you because I've I've been on both sides of the fence, it really comes down to how quickly can can you execute? Uh, how much can you trust the people around you to have the same mentality? And you're right. You know, things are going to happen that are out of your control that uh, that create scars. And scars are important because, you know, what we hear and what we consume from from the media and, and from social media a lot of times isn't isn't reality. You know, the guy that has the successful exit or the female founder who's exited you know, now for a third time, you don't get the other side of that story of what it what it took to get there, the, the failures. And a lot of times, like I said, failure uh, is is can, can be from a lot of things. It can be from 
general business mismanagement. It can be from uh, something as, as seemingly benign as just being too early. You've got the right product, but the market fit was just a little bit too early or just misaligned. And so, unfortunately, you know, the business doesn't really, the business world doesn't really reward close, you know, it's, it's either kind of do or die, you know, surrounding myself with people, I think building a network and finding people that have succeeded, finding people that have succeeded through failure in the past has been really instrumental for me, being a part and being able to personally take a risk and align myself with other people early on in my career in their hopes to build something really taught me a lot. Um, and I, the other thing that, that I happened to stumble into early in my career was joining an angel syndicate, joining an angel network. I thought, it, you know, having come as an operator within a startup, it was interesting. I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more about, you know, being a founder and what it would take to be a successful founder and run a business. So I reached out to a local angel syndicate um, in, in Texas at the time, and then later several, several in Tennessee. And going and sitting in these meetings and hearing other founders pitch, whether or not you, you have you know, the requisite capital to, to be an angel investor, you know, find a mentor, slide into these meetings, just, just find a way to get in and, and, and and meet people, talk to people, because if you have that desire to ultimately go down this path, you'll be surprised at how many people will actually be in your corner. You hear a lot about founders that are that are isolated and and and, and lonely, and and to a degree, that can be the case because no one's ever going to care more about your company than you do. You know that's your baby, but it's also nobody else's baby that's that's on your team, and so. You have to keep that in mind, but you'll be surprised as to how much support is actually out there, particularly from those that have been founders and have, they, they understand what it takes. They understand what you're going through, the lack of sleep, the, you know, sometimes the, the miserable weeks of a lack of fundraising when you're out there trying to get capital and, and you're just, you know, nothing seems to be working, but you know, that's, that's just kind of what it takes. It's, it's really it's not hard. You have to have the right mindset to do it. And, and the mindset is, hey, I'm, I'm just I'm not going to quit. And if you've got that and you can align yourself with the right people in your network and, and just kind of position yourself with with others and with mentors, you're going to have a great head start. Because I, I looking back, if I try to do this now cold without any of, of the background work that at the time, 10, 15 years ago, I didn't really know how it would pay off in the future, but just doing this cold right now without a network would be really hard. I don't, I don't know if we're sitting here today. And, and that, that, that's not to discount the product that we have at Riderly, the, the technical team that we've built, all of the incredible talent, but just to get to that point to be able to assemble a team like that was really um, just through, through the reps that I'd had over the past decade, a decade and a half. That's amazing because you I feel like while you said while you said what you said, there were so many different underlying messages and points in there about just the 
the nature of life, but the nature also of just what comes with going into business on your own, with even investing, with even wanting to start up something on your own, bringing people around you and just the the facet of life that we've heard about so many times with business owners, entrepreneurs. I think you made a great point about how sometimes failure can really come from just not right place, right, right time. It really has nothing to do with you. It really has nothing to do with the product, the service, whatever it may be. It's just that the, there and there may even be a demand for it, but there's just not enough demand for it to really have the impact that you want it to. And I think oftentimes that sometimes people don't realize that sometimes people get so discouraged and they take it personal on them, but they also just instead of fine tuning it or maybe getting back into the lab or going back to the drawing board, they just scrap the whole idea. And maybe you come up with something different. Maybe you revamp, revitalize, or maybe you go elsewhere. But I really had to speak to that point because I love that. And I've talked to so many people who even kind of have voiced that own sentiment or just felt like, hey, maybe if I just wait a little Maybe if I rebrand or maybe if I come back. So I really say that to a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, too. Sometimes, look, you're doing what you need to do. It's there. It's just not your time. yet. Even with, as John was speaking about, even with the AI, there were certain things that certain companies were coming out with and doing that only really honed in on one piece. After that piece was taken care of, it's on to the next. Well, what's next? Even look at the GPTs. Look at how everything is evolving. Look at the time. Social media. Look at everything that we're doing. Look at how now, like, whereas I think about in college and in school and growing up and everything like that, we had to actually like, like research, like read, like know what you were talking about. Then if you kept going, you got into your quizlets, you got into your checks, you got into everything like that. And now it's AI. You don't even have to. Your cover letter, your resume can be made for you if you really needed to. You have resume editors, writers, but everything can really just be generative in a sense. I'm picking up on some things, y'all. But no, all of that to just say that sometimes the possibilities can really be endless as to why something didn't work out, as to why something didn't really take off and soar. Another point you made that I speak on so much is it's your baby. It's you. Yes, you can have people on your team. You can have people around you. But naturally, who's going to stay up those late nights every night? You are. Who's going to wake up those early mornings every morning? You are. Who's who's going to be the one doing the grunt work, picking up behind people, doing this, doing that, holding people accountable? You are. While everybody else can fill in at some point, at some capacity in that journey, nobody's going to be doing it as consistently, as steadfast as you are. So I think that that's also a big message, too, that you really have to recognize that this is it. It's, it's all or nothing. It's not you don't get rewarded for being close. It's all or nothing. It is what it is. So in speaking about teams and speaking about functionalities of organizations and businesses, I want to kind of dive into writerly a little bit. So I know that while this is a platform where you can go to the website, everything like that, there are people who behind the scenes are making things work. So can you just talk to a little bit about how the writerly team is comprised of what do when people are kind of reaching out or going to the website or trying to get consultations or, or figure out what the products and the services are and test things out? What are they dealing with? What really is that experience? And like, how is how has writerly really come together to be the organization and the business that it is today? So we have an internal, uh, sort of an internal saying that we have a team of, of artists and software happens to be the medium. And what I mean by a team of artists is that we, we truly have a team of artists from uh, you know, musicians, painters. We, we have a team of creatives that are very skilled in uh, the requisite skills and skill sets that they need you know, to perform their day to day, whether it's in data, whether it's in uh, engineering, whether it's in product. And so because of, because of that creativity is, is the one common thread we set out because we're a very non-traditional software company in a lot of regards. We're, we're headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we have a second office in Brooklyn, New York, and you know, we're not Silicon Valley. Um, we are 
we are where we are. But I think both of those cities have have something a lot in common. There's there's a, a big creative scene there. Music is a really uh, really important piece of that. And there's still some a little bit of grit and a little bit of blue collar to both of those towns. Um, and and that's kind of our mentality. And 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 we love to compete, but we love to create. And we sort of approach software a little differently. Yes, we have the same fundamental skill sets that are needed to build a software application that works. But we approach things largely from the user experience and the user journey and how much value they're actually getting. Because you know, to me and and you know, probably yourself, you get out there, you're inside of a lot of different apps on a day-to-day basis. You're trying things out for the first time and, you know, everything to a degree sort of tastes like chicken. It's not, it's, there's no difference. You start looking at a lot of this stuff and it's like, okay, I can see the value, but what is there that's going to really spark any sort of, you know, emotional interest for, for me to actually use this and to unlock that value, to spend time in the platform. And so that's how we approach it. Um, We build our team around, uh, people who we don't want people who, who think in terms of barriers or ceilings. You know, you hear that a lot and sometimes it gets overplayed, but we want people that are capable of doing really big things that can think without limits and that aren't afraid to fail because we, you know, scars can be rewarded. And when you're building a startup, a big part of that, you mentioned the word laboratory uh, a few minutes ago. That's, that's a reality because there's a lot of testing that goes on and a lot of failure that comes from that testing. And then you go back to the bench and you say, okay, let's, let's redesign, let's redeploy, let's see the outcome. So there is a very scientific method in all of this, but it can't be so, so, you know, ingrained that you get caught up only, only in the data and everything else. You need a little bit of that, you know, creative cover to come in and, and, and provide an element that otherwise doesn't exist. So, you know, that's really the makeup of our team. We've got a tremendous team of developers. We've got a fantastic product team, but really we're just obsessive about the user experience. And, and we, we take a lot of pride in what we build. Um, we don't want a software that, that tastes like chicken. We want to be different. And we also take the approach that we're not going to serve hundred percent of the market. We never will. No company has has ever done that, nor will they ever. But our users, we, we want them to be sticky and we want them to be to be fans of our work and not just say, OK, well, I've got to use this tool because my company is 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 using this tool. It's like, no, this is an enjoyable experience that I'm that I can I can clearly see that I'm getting value out of. Yeah, man, that tastes like chicken analogy. Ooh, I love that one. I love that one. And I also love the transparency, but the also the very real truth that no matter how good your product, how good your service, how much of a, how much the people love you, you're never going to be in a hundred percent server of the market. There's always just going to be people that don't resonate with it, don't know about it, haven't heard about it, don't want to adapt with the time. There are people who don't want to adopt to AI right now. No matter how much people are saying, read about it, figure it out. Let's get on the way. There are people who are just staying steadfast like this, not happening, not doing it. You know, so there, that's always going to happen. But I love the, I love what you said about the intentionality behind user experience, and I could because I think that that's so. That's really what everything boils down to. At the end of the day, you can do amazing work if that customer service is not there in some capacities. Eventually, it'll fall off. 
or it's not going to happen or it's not going to resonate. It's only going to last for so long. Yes, there are some things that there is no real interaction or there is no real like Brahma reason for what you're doing. Some things are just touch and go. But nine times out of 10, I'll even say eight times out of 10 for those other two companies out there that just may be that different. Nine times, eight times out of 10, you're going to have to interact. You're going to have to talk. You're going to have to be personable. You're going to have to communicate. Communication is so big across what we're doing now. And if you can't do that properly, adequately, once people's money and, and stuff is involved and their brand is online and everything like that, things can get a little sticky, like you said. So, uh, but, I, but I love when companies really focus on that because to me, it really takes the profit out of it. Yes, you're, you're going to make money. That's what you came into, into business for ultimately, to really do this at a great value. Six figures, seven figures, eight figures. We, we make up our own figures. Let's make it go. But I also do feel like if you're not communicating, if you're not being honest, if you're not being transparent, if you're not being upfront with people, Hidden agendas are not only going to take you, but so far, you know what I mean? So I definitely do love that you guys focus on that and that you guys are intentional about what you do behind that. So speaking more so behind what you guys do and what you're focused on, I know we're going to have a host of different industries, different business owners, entrepreneurs, startups listening to this episode. And so to just clear the air, I know sometimes we focus on specific niches. I know sometimes we focus on even specific nationalities, genders, states, cities, countries, everything like that. Would you say that writerly? Would you say that Writerly really only focuses on particular industries, particular services? Is this an episode that if a lot of my previous interviewees are listening to this and, and they're interested in their business or their entrepreneurial journeys or their startups or anything and they want to be served or they want to kind of reach out to you and figure out what's going on? Who, uh, essentially, who do you guys serve? Who don't you guys serve? Is it a little bit of everything? Let me know. Writerly is a, is a horizontal platform. And what I mean by horizontal is that we don't serve a particular vertical. Okay, so we we have users. We'll, we'll, we'll go over six hundred thousand users next week um, that we've acquired this this calendar year. But what we see in our user base and our data is that we have marketers from the automotive industry. We have marketers from the healthcare industry. We have freelancers. We have you know everyone in between. And by design, Writerly offers templates to help people create and generate. Uh, text-based needs, whether that's, like I mentioned before, social media posts, uh, blogs, anything that needs to be written, you know, particularly at scale, uh, Riderly does it really well. And we built ours uh, to incorporate more of, uh, of, of an enterprise mindset where you can invite team members to the platform, you can permission the team members, you can share. We've got some really interesting integrations to where you can push the created content directly to some terminal destinations uh, where it might go for publication. So we encourage, you know, we, we, we love all of our users and all of our use case. But why it's a horizontal and why it's important to be horizontal at this stage is that because there's so many things that can be created from a generative capacity, if we're going to deliver even more value at a company, as a company, we have to find the vertical avenues. We have to find those industries that we can specifically address real problems with real use cases. So if you look at an application layer software company like Writerly, and, and yes, we, we build applications on top of the foundation AI, but really Writerly is a software company. And that's what, that's what we say. I mean, we, we can, we can lean into the AI because that's what we, we know. That's what we do really well. But we also understand that there's a lot of hesitancy and there's a lot of fatigue and a lot of hype right now around AI. So 
we, we, we try to position ourselves carefully that, yeah, we're an AI company, but we're really a software company. That's, that's what we are. And we build software that enables people to do things at scale and a lot faster. And some examples that I mentioned, your marketers across various industries, we have HR professionals that use it uh, to create uh, job postings. We have uh, real estate agents that are creating either uh, supplemental marketing materials for listings that they may pick up. So really anyone that has a need to, to generate anything would, would, be, would be a good you know, user for us. I, I use it to, to produce some, some level of information that's, that's sent out to a broader audience. It helps me as, as an editor. It saves time. But it's, you know, but what we say, and we'll say it about Riderly too, it's not something that's going to produce a finished work product for you. You should, you should always have an editorial review process before you just say, hey, I'm going to use AI to write this. Just be careful because while large language models, which are sort of the foundation that's creating this stuff, are really, really good, there, there can be some inaccuracies. There was a case, I think, somewhere uh, recently in the last couple of months where there was an attorney that that submitted, um, I believe, a motion to the court, and he had generative AI help him write it, and and actually cited case law in in this document. The problem was, and it was it was you know formatted correctly with with the case law cited. The, the problem was the cases never existed, and the AI actually created <laughs> the plaintiff and defendant, you know, the jurisdiction, the date, like it just totally hallucinated this stuff. Um, and he was caught and he was sanctioned by the court, which uh, was probably deserved. So we always caution, if you're going to use AI, it can be a really, really beneficial tool. Um, don't, you know, we're not to a point yet where it should be trusted to produce final finished work product, you know, at, at this time. Is it going to get better? Absolutely. Has it gotten better? thousand percent. But it's a great assistant. It's a great starting point. It's a great editor. It's almost like that famous saying my mom always used to tell me, double check your work and triple check it sometimes because even typing emails, even when you got the spell check on iPhone, everything like that, you'll see that tenses could be wrong or you might have missed some punctuation or might have used the wrong it's over it. It is. So that's but that's that's a little bit crazy as to how creative that this, you know, this really software, this platform can really be when it's all said and done. But it also just gives you a peek into the future that this stuff is if this is what it's doing now. Man, imagine just a, a year. Imagine 18 more months from now. I mean, imagine I, I could imagine if we rewinded back 18 months back to 2022 when y'all were coming in, even now to see some things, y'all have kind of been mind blown or y'all have kind of looked at some things a little bit now. So to not get too far into the future, but also still to think a little bit ahead. Is there anything that even this year, next year, the coming years, anything like that, that writerly is looking to expand into any new avenues that you're thinking about. And of course, we don't want to spoil any surprises or reveal anything that you guys haven't debuted yet. We just love on the podcast. We, I love the exclusiveness sometimes. And I love that my listeners can sometimes just get the get the inside scoop. So is there anything on your side of things that y'all are thinking about that y'all are experimenting with, even feedback that y'all have gotten that y'all want to start to look into more? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, for us, it's one of these vertical opportunities that came out of the, the horizontal platform that is Riderly is the ability to, to ask the what if questions uh, in relation to e-commerce. And we, we have a, a lot of deep experience on our team with brands, um, with retailers. 
and started asking, okay, beyond just the ability to you know, generative AI, you, know, you can you can create a product description. So if you're going to go sell or create a store through Shopify, you know you have to have these product detail pages as assets. You have to be able to market what the product is, you know. And so starting to look around, you know, at what can we do for online retailers in the e-commerce space, brands in particular that take a lot of the manual work out of creating. And there's a lot of content that's created. If you're going to sell something or create a brand, a lot of people think you just need a logo and a name. And that's important. And you definitely need a logo and a name. But uh, that's just the starting point. There's a lot of copy and a lot of content that goes in. And now you have to worry about organic SEO, right? And how do people find that on Google? And so one of the really interesting areas that we discovered early on within e-commerce was to be able to use some of the high frequency data that's being produced by Google Search Console and your HREFs and your SEMrush uh, data providers out there on kind of the keywords. What are people searching for? And that's really a dynamic marketplace because what we search for is really a form of, of linguistics. Like when you and I get on Google and we try to just generalize a search for something that we're looking for, we're kind of creating our own language, right? And it may not be exactly aligned with what that product is, but there's intent behind that, right? And that's part of the, the shopping experience is to say, okay, I'm going to start here. This is kind of what I mean in my head, but what comes out through my fingers could be a little bit different. So how do you get better at guiding those, those online buyers to products that, that brands are selling through that sort of intent mechanism. And that intent mechanism changes. You know, now we're, now we're in an age where, you know, a lot of products are, you know, organic to some extent or another. People want natural. They, they don't want, you know, certain things. If you are a retailer selling in that space and you say, hey, yeah, that, that's actually this product here. If your product detail pages don't say that, People are going to have a hard time finding it. And then you're going to sit there and go, well, how do I solve this problem? And historically, how you solved it is through through paid ads. So I'm just going to spend more on the paid side, right? But you will never, for smaller brands, you can't outspend the, the big retailers that are always going to occupy those first five or six sponsored links. You're never going to knock them off. So how do you, so how do you compete in that marketplace? And so we think there's an opportunity for generative AI to sort of democratize the, the organic search experience to allow the smaller brands who are, whose only constraint might be budget. Okay. And how do you give them tools to be able to compete from a visibility standpoint with, you know, the Fortune 500 brands who have the monster marketing budgets to, to buy up and to, to sit on these keywords for a long time? And, and we've, we've discovered that there are some ways to do that. So we launched a product last month, particularly in the e-commerce space for brands that pairs the high frequency search data that's showing the, 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 the trending keywords and allows them to automatically embed keywords aligned with real time search within their product detail pages in real time. And then we can re-index that through Google, which then allows that, that particular product detail page to appear in search organically very, very quickly. 
And, and what we're finding is that small brands are going to benefit really, really well, and they're going to be able to compete in these markets that have been historically dominated by, by the big brands. And, and we love opportunities like that to unlock, to unlock things for people who otherwise they, they wouldn't have the means to do it. And we're finding tools, and it's not just us. I think, I think there will be a lot of other companies within the AI space that create some similar products, maybe for similar verticals. But we're going to see a shifting in the landscape where it's not going to be the golden rule anymore. I mean, it will be to a certain extent, right? That he who has the most gold makes rules when it comes to, to search. We're, we're finding that we can actually, we can give some real firepower and, and weaponize organic SEO for smaller brands and just give them an opportunity to compete because that's, that's what they want. That's all they want. And, and up until this point, They've been told, well, you don't, you don't have the war chest or you don't have the, the marketing dollars to do it. We love opportunities like that most definitely. And it just goes to show you that if that particular side of things is shaking it up, it's, it's so much that can happen. I even had some feedback here on Instagram Live. They were saying that AI is causing marketing experts to really shake things up. And I would have to agree just because I can't tell you now how many people have found my email, reached out to me on Instagram by my YouTube have already at my most recent one that impressed me and I politely declined, but they gave me some content. They, they reached out to me and had already made five free videos of my content. I was just like, wow, like, okay, like granted, you probably just threw this into a generator because they all start to look the same after a while, the words and the backgrounds and everything like that. But that's, it really does go to show just what, what is really happening, just that transition that that can really take place. So before I even move forward, we actually had some more feedback too. They said that product, can you just repeat the name of that one more time? Yeah, it's called Ecom. We we kept it simple. Uh, it's it's E K O M dot A I. That's the website. Um, we uh, you know, we we felt like we there, there's a way to uh, to to understand algorithmically how to give brands an advantage uh, within organic SEO and generative AI paired with with some really really uh, high fidelity high sensitivity data. Uh, does just that. And, you know, because look, if you, you know, as a, as you know, we're all marketers, if, if you're in business, you're either marketing, you're selling, you're doing all the above all the time. You've got to promote, you've got to create content and that stuff takes time, right? Cause you're, you're focused on a million things and the content, you know, can, can fall on that list. So where I see and where, where, you know, our team sees AI being able to, to help is through speed and automation. What if you could automate a lot of that a lot of that personal brand experience that's that can be created, not just how AI wants to talk, but how your brand talks. And so we invested really early on at, at Riderly in smart brand personas. We said, well, a marketer, this doesn't do a marketer any good if what's being produced sounds like it was written by AI. So let's give a no-code drag and drop feature that you can build your own brand's language model. And then everything that it starts to produce from that point forward sounds like you or sounds like your brand guidelines. And that was really appreciated early on. And that's sort of what led us to the to the ecom, E-K-O-M dot AI uh, vertical product was that the, the brand itself and, and the brand's marketing is what's is what's most valuable. You've got to preserve that because brands are very unique. They're like people. And you have to sort of honor everything that that brand was built on. And if you can give the, the, the brand owner, the brand marketer, the ability to create in that brand's voice through automation 
And then as simple as pushing it directly to the CMS platform on their behalf, you can do some really, really interesting things and, and help a lot of people out along the way. Man, you got me, you got me excited for this all over again. Honestly, I, I do think that there is so much that can be done with this. There's so much that's being done with this. There's so much that was already done with this. And there are some things that were like I was even touching on, we're not even thinking about that AI is going to be able to substitute for or having for. But even the fact that, once again, I go back to my intentional thing, companies are already thinking ahead, already thinking about that AI has a certain type of language behind it or format behind it. Okay, well, how can we shift the narrative a little bit? How can we think about what people are already searching for, looking for, thinking about, listening to, talking about, buying, consumers, everything like that? Put it all together and make a model that, yes, we're still automating it for you, but we're automating it uniquely to you. So I love that. I dropped that actually from my IG live people. So I know you're about to have some people tapping in to that most definitely. So now before I even give people where they can find you writerly, everything like that, do you feel like there's anything that we have not touched on today? Any last words that you want to even leave for other business owners, entrepreneurs, anybody who may be coming across this episode in any capacity? Yeah. You know, I, I just appreciate you inviting me onto your platform to be able to have this conversation. I think, you know, what you're doing is, is fantastic. You know, from my perspective, it's less about about selling the company uh, and selling a product and more about, you know, there's 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 entrepreneurs out there that haven't made the leap, that haven't started their own company. And what what I'm really passionate about is sort of is, is helping the next person in line. So I always encourage, look, if there's anybody in your audience that ever has any questions uh, and, and there will be questions, there will be a lot of them about how do you start the journey? How do you, how do you evaluate risk? How do you do anything? Um, I, I love to have those conversations. I encourage anyone to reach out to me because it's really important for us to build that network of support because, you know, for a long time, you, you typically see, and, and you look, and Silicon Valley has done a lot of really amazing things from a technology standpoint, um, you know, to introducing, you know, novel therapeutics that have been used in, in drug delivery uh, to, to things that we use on a day-to-day -day basis that, that make our world you know, better. But there's other pockets, there's other, there's other people, there's other talent that's outside of that, that quite frankly have more of an uphill climb. It's a little bit, it's a little bit harder. And, and to have you know, any, sort of, any sort of knowledge or, or some, uh, some insights as to how to navigate that better would have certainly, it, it helped me along the way. And I know how important that is. So I just, I, I always like to say, look, if, uh, if anybody's even considering it, um, it's, it's certainly not what everybody thinks it might look like. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. It's ugly. Um, but it's very, very rewarding because you get to surround yourself with, with, with people that, you know, hopefully share your same vision. Uh, that, that want to build. And that's what it comes down to. You've got to want to get in there and you've got to want to build it yourself. You've got to want to sell the product yourself. And because again, this is your baby and nobody's ever going to care more about it than you are. And they have to. And that baby cries, the baby needs to be fed and it needs to be changed. Um, and, and all the things that come with babies, right? And, and, and it's no different in a startup capacity. But uh, yeah, I'm, I always like to make myself as available as I can you know, through LinkedIn, uh, through email, people can, can find me, reach out. Uh, always, always love having, having conversations with, with, with that next group that says, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about this, but I really don't know where to start. Or I'm kind of maybe even halfway down the road and I'm hitting some hurdles. 
love to love to help. Well, John, I have to thank you for that. That's very, you know, I I talk to a lot of people and not everybody always offers themselves as a resource, which is okay. You know, some people just may not be in that space, may not be in that place. Perfectly fine. But I love when people do the call to actions here. And it's been happening a lot in my episodes. So I'm I'm very grateful. But of course, I'm just going to echo your sentiment 10 times more and just tell people, look, that there may be some things on here that you heard today that may be new to you. There may be some things that you heard about that you were thinking about, Um, maybe even did some research on some Google searches on that you may not have really found what you were looking for. John is basically and essentially telling you that whatever you may need, whatever you may want to walk through, talk through, learn more about, he's here for you. On top of teaching us so much on this episode right now, there are a host of things that you'll learn just from tapping in with Riderly, just from tapping in with Ecom, and just from even following the continuous journey. Because look, he, he ran us back 18 months forward. We're going to have another 18 months that are coming. There's going to be so much adjusting, adapting, changing, evolution, and everything like that. And so, as he said, we don't want to get too far ahead of things. We don't want to just think and predict, but we want to keep it in front of us. But at the same time, making sure that we're still benefiting from it, that we're still doing what we have to do from that. So, John, I appreciate that so much. But I also, too, as you did, I want to leave the ball in my followers court and my audience's court, hoping that they tap in with you in some capacity. So in order for them to do that, can you please just let us know all the best places to find you, to reach you, to check out the website, to learn more about Riderly and everything that you guys have to offer? Give me everything you got. Yeah, sure. I think email is email's great. John, just J-O-N at Riderly, W-R-I-T-E-R-L-Y dot A-I. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, John Ricketts, J-O-N-R-I-C-K-E-T-T-S. I, I think uh, there's there's a couple of, of, of fraudulent accounts on LinkedIn, uh, but it's the one that's that's out of Knoxville, Tennessee, that that is the uh, the correct one. And then obviously the website uh, for the company, uh, ecom.ai, again, ekom.ai. And then Riderly is w-r-i-t-e-r-l-y.ai as well. And Tamar, thank you again. You've got an incredible platform. Uh, I hope, you know, I know your listeners get, get a lot from, from your show. And let me know if there's anything I can do for you in the future. I just really appreciate, pr- appreciate you having me on to be able to have this conversation. I'm grateful. Like I said, I have to give a big shout out to Kitcaster, but even a bigger shout out to you. You know, Dave, I've been sent recommend not from them specifically, but sent people in the past who don't come on or don't or have to reschedule or anything like that. So I appreciate you taking the time even on the tail end of your vacay to come and talk to me. It's definitely much appreciated. So I hope that you continue to enjoy the rest of that. I'm extending the same help to me. I think that the biggest help rightly is going to be for us. I'm going to start using y'all to write some of my bios. Some of these bios are hard to write. And I've written, well, when y'all hear this episode, it'll be more. But as of today, August 1st, I've written 151 bios from the head. So it's just like, you know, I have to continuously do that. But that's the communication and journalism to me. But no, we will definitely be in touch. I will definitely be picking your brain. I will definitely be staying up to date and following the writerly and the John journey just the same. And to all my audience, to all your audience, even to the newcomers that came along the way. Thank you all. I love you all. This has been another episode of the Down to Business podcast here with Tamar Turner.